Welcome back to another episode of the Sounder at Heart podcast. I am Jeremiah O'Shan. I'm Mark Kastner. This is the Sounder at Heart podcast. Joined by my co-host, Mickey Turner. Casey's the other voice that you hear. Tim Foss. Of course, Ari Lillian Wall. This has been an extremely weird podcast. Getting dragged all day. Just the bottom line is they, they don't have an answer to that. There's a reason they got signed to first team contracts. And if you're not going to give them respect for that, then have fun losing again next Very year. special guest, Brian Spencer, head coach of the CL Sounders. You know who he is. Brian how are you doing? I'd start off, Jeremiah, by saying one thing, and this isn't my quote. I have to attribute this to Tom Dutra. He always says, tough times don't last, tough people do. Welcome back to another episode of the Sounder at Heart podcast. Uh, I'm Jeremiah O'Shan. Uh, joining me is my co-host, Mark Kastner, and we have a very special guest today, the uh, now- even longer time head coach of the Seattle Sounders, Brian Schmetzer. Uh, congratulations on the contract extension. Congratulations on another uh, very good season, even if it didn't obviously end the way we all wanted it to. But uh, congratulations I'm sure on we'll, everything. I'm, I'm sure we'll get into that, Jeremiah. Yes, yes, I'm, we will. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, you. I just start right here. You know, this is you're going to be going into your 20th season with the Sounders uh, continuous, which is. I don't know. I don't know that I'm able to confirm this because it's officially unofficial since it's two organizations technically, but that's got to be like one of the longest uninterrupted runs of anyone in North American soccer history. I mean, that's, that's an amazing run. I would, I would think that that bit of longevity uh, probably doesn't have many peers. No, uh, I would say that it was, you know, head coach, assistant coach, head coach. So that makes it a slightly different storyline. Sure. But the fact that I was able to, you know, cling on and grab on and not let go and, you know, not get let, let go. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's a pretty incredible, uh, pretty incredible story. Do you ever think back, uh, you know, 20 years just feels like such a, it's it's a long time. Uh, you know, you've had kid, you've had kids in that time. You've had grandkids in that time. Um, I maybe you don't have hadn't had kids in that time, but you've had you've seen a lot of children grow up uh, during that time. <laughs> and do you ever think back to those? You know that that fateful meeting you had with uh, with Adrian at a at a at a coffee shop, and and you you kind of hashed out your your for, it was your first head coaching job at the time, right? Yeah. Well, that's actually one of my favorite stories between Adrian and myself, just because, you know, he was late and I made him go to my kids, you know, I had to drop my kids off at school and we went to the Tully's, which is no longer there across the street. And just the way things kind of, you know, in my mind, I was like, well, who's Adrian Hanauer? You know, who's that guy? And so we laugh about that all the time. And, you know, Neil Farnsworth was there and the whole story about Neil's Neil Farnsworth and his kid that was going to be a pro soccer player for the Sounders and that never worked out and Bernie how he handled all of that and just just the way it started in 2002 you know it's it's a pretty interesting story and you know, Adrian and I bring that up from time to time it, it has been a long time and that's a good story yeah it, it and it it is a it's like a uniquely Seattle story too and I think that's kind of one of the things that's so amazing about this organization and I think it's sometimes easy to take it for granted a little bit when you're in it like we are but this is an organization that has had effectively two majority owners 
and it had two GMs and two head coaches over the course of 20 years. That is like, you know, you're, and you're obviously a big part of that, but just the stability of this organization to go back through two, you know, two over two leagues and to have this sort of like continuity uh, Mm -hmm. over that time. Well, look, okay, we can talk about my story, but I love talking about other stories, other people. Adrian deserves a ton of credit because I don't know, you know, I never asked him what spurred him to actually buy the franchise. Maybe I have, and I've just forgotten the answer. But when his, his, his family bought the Sounders back in 2002 or invested, I would say invested in the Sounders, uh, you know, that was a big deal. It was a big moment. He, he was a soccer guy. I mean, he grew up on Mercer Island and played the game and loved the game. And we shared stories about watching the team in the kingdom and, and all of his experiences with his father going to games and all of that. And Adrian really has been the one that, that should deserve the lion's share of the credit for being the guy who originally invested money in the club. Then as the USL, we kind of figured that out. I don't know if he ever thought that he was going to be, you know, part of MLS. I don't know if that was his intention in 2002, but as the league kind of started getting bigger and, you know, USL was kind of up and down and all of that, he made a bold choice to figure out a way how to get into MLS and kudos to him. I mean, look, he had help Joe Roth and, you know, other people, the, the Seahawks and, and Gary Wright and all of the people that helped him in the beginning. But, you know, he's been the, he's been the guy that kind of had the money and wherewithal to do it in the USL days. Go to, you know, the time when, you know, soccer was changing. It was an ever changing landscape in those days back in the, you know, early 2000s, mid, mid 2000s. And you know, now he's got a really, really nice franchise. It's worth a ton of dough and we're successful and, you know, everything. I mean, it's a great, it's a great story for Adrian Hanauer. So with all of that history behind you coming into this year, how much of, of that kind of weighed on your mind? Were you even aware that like you were within a contract year? Was that part of the discussions at all? Yeah, no, I, I, t- I told you guys on the call yesterday. I mean, look, we started these discussions like January, February of, of, of last year or whatever year it was, 2020. Yeah, last year. And so then, then things were kind of progressing and not progress. You know, it's normal. It was still early in the year. And then COVID hit. And, and that took a big chunk of everybody's lives here in the United States, here in Seattle and sports world and normal people's lives and all of that. And I think Mark, that was, you know, one of the big reasons why things kind of slowed down. We didn't know what, what was going to happen, how, how things would end up. And, you know, I'm just thankful that, you know, we kind of, you know, figured things out and, you know, we, we got to a point where we were both happy with the, with the arrangement, with the agreement. And we were able to push it over the line. So when when did it like how how close to the deadline did it? You know, the, the announcement didn't come until yesterday, which is technically more than three weeks after the contract expired. I mean, was were you actually without a contract for a while or did did most of this get buttoned up before the end of the year? Well, it was buttoned up in 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 verbal agreements and all of that sort of stuff prior to the end of the year. 
uh, we just, you know, they needed to have the, you know, the attorneys look at both documents, changing words here and there, and just making sure they, you know, dotted the I's, crossed the T's. Um, but we had a we had an agreement uh, prior to the end of the year verbally. So, um, was there a point at which you be like you you know you mentioned that at the beginning of the year it's just a normal thing you're going into a contract year it sounds like you kind of expected things to progress how they were going to progress you can make you you can say oh well sure COVID happened and that interrupted everything but at at some point I got to imagine you became acutely aware that you were heading towards the end of a contract um, when when did it start to feel for you like oh wow I'm my contract's going to be running out soon and I need to get this figured out. Well, I think, I think it, it, it hit us the hardest. And I said, I use the pronoun us, meaning the entire coaching staff as it got closer to the end of the year, because look, I am responsible for myself, but I always knew had confidence in myself. I knew I was going to figure out a way how to be okay, but there are other members of my staff that, you know, have families and kids and, they want to know their futures and one of them almost had a different future and another one has the possibility to have a different future and another one was you know actually having meetings with uh, a, a legitimate company a la zach scott you know kind of figuring out what he might do after soccer is over and so we as a staff kind of were like going okay well we need to we need to start talking about this we need to start you know figuring this out so I would say that was, you know, in the in in the latter months of, of 2020, we started to really say, hey, let's let's start talking about this. How relieved are you that that's all behind you and you get to focus on 2021 season? Very relieved, Mark. <laughs> I said it yesterday. I'm smiling. I'm laughing now, but uh, I'm smiling. I mean, I'm I'm very happy. Uh, I think Adrian's happy. I think Gar's happy. I think you guys can ask them that, but I, I, I'm, I'm extremely pleased and I'm glad that we can start focusing on what's really important. And, and I had a coaches meeting the other day, uh, last Friday, and, uh, it was all about, okay, what are we going to do? You know, how are we going to do this? What are we going to start with? You know, let's, let's, let's start thinking about this because it's time to get back to work. You know, you mentioned your your assistants. Uh, wh- who, how close are we to having an agreement with? Like, I, I, I know that that hasn't been finalized yet, but how close are we to having an announcement with who's coming back or finding out if anyone's not coming back? I can't give you an exact timeline on that, Jeremiah, but I can tell you that it looks very positive. That I'm very hopeful that all of the assistants will be back, and the announcement will come here fairly soon. In your in your video that the social media team put out yesterday, the one that I did, the one that I did watch at the end of the evening because everybody was bringing it up. I mean, <laughs> I mean, it was a good video. The, I couldn't know, remember Brian what Bad I Puck did it, and though. whatnot does does good work. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. I was just going to ask you when you did it, but I, I can't uh, remember. I think it was in the lead up to MLS Cup. I don't know. I can't remember. <laughs> but kind of a kind of a central theme of that had centers you at kind of the you know, the, the history that you have with the club that we, you know, talked about a few minutes ago, are you thinking with this contract, like you, you literally mentioned in that video that you might want to coach for a few more years than become a scout. 
are you even thinking about that stuff now or is it just kind of something that you said in that video and that's just yeah. kind of that i mean look it th that video i don't want anybody to read into it now that chris henderson is gone there was there was nothing nefarious you know <laughs> at all that was an off the cuff remark saying that look at the end of the day i'd love to be with the sounders until i retire whenever that is and so as i'm done with my coaching career, or if my coaching career comes to a screeching halt for a different reason, you know, what are my next steps? What would I be interested in? What would I do? I could tell you that if the contract goes all the way through it and, you know, it, 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 everything is good and rosy, you know, then maybe retirement is, you know, something that I choose. If I get fired prior to the end of the contract, then maybe I want to, you know, test my metal in a different way, different team, you know, new organization. I don't know. I, I, I haven't made those final choices, but that remark was just kind of like, look, I'm always a glass half full kind of guy. You know, I get my water glass right here, but it's, it's, you know, at the end of the day, the best ending for me would be, okay, I finished my coaching career. I let, you know, Gonzo or Jimmy or Precky take over and I move somewhere else and go around the world and look for the next Nuhutolo or next Yaimar or next Jao Paulo, go to Brazil and, you know, go to Uruguay. I mean, Punta del Este is a nice place. Go to Europe. <laughs> I mean, I'd love to travel around the world. I mean, that'd be great. You know, you, uh, you, you mentioned though, a successor, uh, potential, uh, Pineda or Preki or whoever it is, but how much, how, how important is it for you to, you know, you've talked about yourself as kind of a steward of the club that you've talked about, um, being like a servant of a, of a larger power than just, you know, this isn't the Brian Schmetzer area era. This is just a, a, a part of the Sounders history. How, how do you go about making sure that the values that you bring to this club are part of the embedded values that there's something that you're leaving uh, that's bigger than just, you know, your coaching record. Well, I don't know if I could guarantee that, that my, that, that my opinion or my thoughts will be embedded into the next guy that takes over, but I'm going to sure as heck, give it a college try. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to try and make sure that that person understands that we have a, a really big history. I mean, you go back to John Best, Jimmy Gabriel, Alan Hinton. Those are three extremely big names of our past history. You go through all the USL eras, you know, Bernie James deserves credit. Neil Megson deserves credit. You know, Alan coming back, uh, you come to my era, then you have Zig, the, arguably one of the best coaches in MLS history. I mean, you've got this history of a club. And I know that my time will come to an end. And the next guy hopefully has much success, that they understand that the club is the relationship between the fans. It started back in 1974, but it's the relationship between the fans and the players because I think that's still the strongest bond. I mean, I chose this backdrop for a reason, you know, the, the backdrop that I have of the ECS back there, I know Steph's in the, in the foreground there, but you know, I did that for a reason because the people are the ones that make this, make me feel that I'm just a steward of the club. 
because the club is always going to be there. The fans are always going to be there. That's going to perpetuate. I, I, at some point I'm going to leave. You we're we're definitely not trying to get rid of you or anything. So let's talk about (laughs) kind of right now, you know, with, with the season kind of coming up and I guess we could even talk about the season pass, but, um, there's, there's definitely a shakeup happening within the club. You know, Chris Henderson's leaving and Jordan Morris is gone for at least six months. And um, there's, there's some things changing right now. How, how much of that is kind of, you mentioned you having a coaches meeting last week. How much of that is in the, like the forefront of your mind and in, into the, into the planning phase for the season, even if we don't really know when it's going to start yet. Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll divide those two you know, uh, Jordan and, uh, Chris, I'll divide the two and I'll tell you a little story. I'll tell you a little story about Obafemi Martins in preseason 2016, you know, because Zig was there and Oba wanted to have a meeting and, you know, comes into the, into the room and it's Oba and myself and Zig. And I think Kurt was in there. Chris, uh, Chris Henderson was in there and Oba basically says, look, I have an offer in China and, you know, I, I, I want to go. And we were forced with a decision there. We were forced to make a decision. What are we going to do? How are we going to manage this? Oba was our best player at the time. He was our biggest. I mean, he was so good for our team. And we ended up losing a mark that in that preseason, he went to China. And so this reminds me a little bit of that situation with Jordan. I mean, we somehow may do. I mean, that might have been the opportunity for Jordan Morris because Oba was then gone. So we had a void in our attacking players and Jordan as a rookie certainly isn't as polished as he is now, but it gave him an opportunity to play a lot of meaningful games there in 2016 because Oba had left. And so what will happen with Jordan is we'll wish him the best. You know, we came to an agreement with him. I mean, you guys, you guys heard his commentary, heard Gar's commentary. It's a, it's a, it's a thing that we at the club are proud of. Uh, you know, we, we talk to our players and we try to be good people and, you know, Jordan wants to try it. And if it works great, because then the club will get, you know, again, a lot of money, a lot of money if he, if he makes it and the club will survive and we'll move on. Now with Chris leaving, you know, how do we fix that internally? Because Chris was really good at his job. Not that Jordan Morris isn't good at his job, but Chris was really good at his job. I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a, technical staff hire that we have to, you know, think about because Garth is, Garth is, you know, really strong on this youth movement and he wants to get a guy in there that, that might, might be a little more, you know, youth centric focused or coaching focused. And, you know, how do we get the scouting department to remain as good as it is? I mean, those are some big decisions for the club, how we move forward in that, in that part of our organization. Now, my understanding of how the kind of talent identification <laughs> process works within the Sounders is that it is kind of collaborative that, you know, it, you know, Sean is the Sean Henderson is the, the technically the head of scouting right now. And he, he was, I guess, even under under Chris, but you do some scouting, you know, the assistants do some scouting, as I understand it, that there's, you know, Robbie brings his analytical aspects of 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 scouting into this whole thing. Do you get a sense that there's an immediate change that has to happen or are the, the way the organization is structured, does it allow you to 
kind of disperse the um, the impact a little bit more and, and maybe take your time, take time and make as a coach, not necessarily feel like you need to replace Chris right away. Yeah. I, again, those are decisions more for Garth and Adrian to try and figure out, but Chris's, uh, you know, relationships with all of the people that he's known and grown to be friends with in the soccer world, you know, was one of his best strengths. And so he had a, a book of all his notes and all the players and contacts and agents, and he's good with people. He's a good people person. So that part of it has been removed, but you are correct in the sense that the way it was set up, the way it still is kind of set up is look, Sean would be the guy that sifts through some of the first wave of stuff. Cause we get, we get, we get stuff in our inbox on a daily basis from agents and players and, you know, whoever, and then, Obviously, Sean and Chris had a close relationship, they're brothers, and so they would talk, and, you know, Sean and Chris and, you know, Garth would talk about, you know, things, where do we want to go, Ravi does always add his, you know, analytical stuff, brings that to the occasion, Adrian still likes to look at players, I mean, he's still vested in the team, and he likes to look at players, we as coaches go out and, and look at players, you know, mostly online, but, you know, I did go to Argentina last year to scout Yaimar, to look at Yaimar live. We were looking at some other targets when we were down there as well. Um, and, you know, how do we, how do we move forward? Jeremiah is still TBD, but I think, yes, the way we're set up, we can kind of move forward, but I think we want to always get better. So how do we do that? So, you, you know, you look at uh, last year and, and it didn't, in some ways, you know, I think what's kind of funny about last year, and I, and I wrote this, is that in some ways it was not just your most impressive job coaching of the all the years that you've been at the Sounders, but in a, at its best, I thought that was some of the most entertaining soccer that the Sounders have ever played. Uh, and you go back to the, the height of Clinton Oba, uh, and, I, and it was just like a fun you know, free-flowing, multi-pronged attack. Uh, how much of that do you think that you're able to kind of capture and carry on even without Jordan? And how much of this has to just be completely rethought? Well, I think Jordan was a, obviously a big part of it. Uh, you know, best 11, you know, just his strengths, his attributes fitting with Nico and Raul. Uh you know, I think things just kind of gelled there mid-season where those three guys were playing at a very high level. Um, I don't think it I don't think it goes all the way out the window because look, Raul's pretty crafty and shifty. And, you know, I, I can I can still remember some of his goal, you know, that goal against Atlanta here at CenturyLink where he dipped the ball over the guy's head and whatever his left-footed unorthodox volley from 35 yards out against LAFC where the goalkeeper just was like, going, well, where did that come from? You know, he just, he has that ability to make unbelievable things happen. Obviously Nico, you know, I, I, I watched his free kick again the other day uh, that he had last year. I mean, he's a tremendous player. Uh, I think when, when Brad Smith gets healthy again, you know, cause he was a little dinged up all last year. You know, I think he can create a ton of excitement. Uh, you know, 
I know there's a massive debate. I know there's a massive debate about Christian Roldan, about what's his best position, whether it's as a six or an eight or as a winger, blah, blah, blah. But I remember Christian, when he didn't play right wing, I mean, just his, his shielding of the ball, his bitch slapping of guys getting around the corner, getting down to the end line, crossing balls, you know, the 4-3 game against D.C. United coming into the back post, you know, that game earlier last year when Jordan is sprinting. I forget which game it was. It was I think it was down in L.A. Jordan was 30 yards ahead of everybody else. And Christian is bombing down. I didn't think Christian was ever going to catch up. And Jordan goes around the goalkeeper, plays the ball, slots across, and there's Christian at the back post. I mean, we do have exciting players. We do have an exciting team. Now, take Jordan out of that. We're going to have to certainly figure out how to remake or rework some of that. But we still have some good pieces there. Part of evaluating kind of where to go forward is, is you have to look at some of the things that happened last year. And I hate to bring it up, but uh, – the Sounders lost MLS Cup. I don't know if you remember or not. I try to forget. But um, <laughs> have, you, have you reflected on that defeat? And is there, are there any kind of, you know, you don't have to spill the beans or anything, but is there anything from that defeat that you kind of want to push forward in 2021 and sort of rectify within the team? Yeah, well, you always, you never lose, you always try and learn, you know, you, you, you always, I don't think I said that correctly, but Ezra Hendrickson uh, gave me that, gave me that old saying, you never, you never lose, you only learn, or there's something along those lines. And yeah, I did learn from it. Um, you know, I thought that we could, you know, extend the game into the second half through possession, through just getting Jordan in behind if we were kind of pinned back and just, you know, I just thought we could do it with a more attack minded team, but you know, I was wrong. You know, Gustav should have probably started next to JP Christian could have started out a right wing. And, you know, that gave us a little bit more defending and we were under it. And, you know, I used, things mark from 2017 when when we won in 16 and then went to 17 and you know uh, the whole week as we progressed through the whole week what was the messaging how did we message them in 2017 what did we do different how do we get them to understand it it is so freaking hard to win back-to-back mls cups and we did the best we could i thought we did a good job with our messaging with the group you know, it is hard. It's 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 a league built on parity. Not since the Galaxy back in whatever it was, 11 and 12 or 10 and 11 or, you know, whatever that was, nobody's won back-to-back MLS Cups. And so it was bitterly disappointing. You know, I think the defensive miscues that, that, that cost us 2 nothing, that cost us basically the game, were things that were uncharacteristic of our team. Like everybody's, you know, given, you know, our right back situation, a, a, a you know, a, a good, you know, dissection. Uh, yeah. Was Alex the right choice? Should I have started Kelvin? Those are all legitimate questions. But I don't think it hinged on just the right back position. You know, that whole first goal played when, you know, we, we, we messaged, let's not let the most dangerous guy in the field be open at one at any point in the game 
And sure enough, you know, Alex had pressed higher up the field and how did we cover and all that sort of stuff. And then the second goal is, you know, it's unfortunate because Shane O'Neill is a, is a kid that I love. I mean, I love the kid. He's, he worked his way into, you know, challenging for a starting spot. But, you know, when your center back slips and heads the ball to their, to their best player right on top of the belly box, I mean, you, you, you are going to pay for those mistakes. And so, you know, I don't necessarily blame Shane for that one. But if you really look at that game and dissect that particular goal, what happened was is the ball was up near midfield and Nico had a chance to, you know, kind of collect the ball and Jordan was right there in the vicinity. And if you really watch where their right back was on that play and you watch where their two center backs are on that play, had Nico been able to get a hold of the ball, Jordan was in on goal because the other center back was more towards the middle of the field and Raul was up there as well. And we would have had a counterattack, and it would have sprung in our direction and maybe in our favor. And those are the little moments that I've told you guys is, you know, the team that makes the plays in those critical moments are, is the team that's going to win a, a championship and win games. And so that's what happened on those two particular plays we didn't, we didn't do the job. And so, you know, that's, that's to me, the story of the game. And then, you know, to, to close it out, I thought when Gustav was inserted into the game in the second half, I thought we had a, you know, a couple of half chances there in the beginning of the first half. And, you know, maybe if it goes two one, you know, again, the eternal optimist glass, glass half full, you know, maybe that changes the game, but we couldn't, you know, we couldn't score. Part of the, you talk about kind of the difference between 16 and 17, and then obviously 19 and 20, that, you know, the elephant in the room was dealing with COVID all season. And while the team, <clears throat> I think, you know, Jeremiah and I both on the blog and on the podcast have praised how the team has handled COVID, you know, certainly compared to some other MLS teams, uh, how much of that kind of weighed on you throughout the season? And, and are you, prepared to sort of deal with that again unfortunately yeah I, it didn't weigh on me what it weighed on was chris cornish and his staff and then you know the the doctors and you know all the all the people down at starfire that had to follow the protocols and you know trying to keep us away from the public it's a public facility and you know making sure we did the testing on the on the mls testing cadence i mean we had a we had a uh, a trainer lucas great great guy but he would drive in from olympia sometimes on his day off because he was the guy that was designated with the mask and everything all the protection the ppe to come and do our testing for us so those guys were under pressure you know those guys were the ones that did all the heavy lifting and kept us all safe so it was more of a distraction, I would say, Mark, than, than really pressure bearing down on me. Now, when, when, when Chris Cornish would, would text me at, you know, seven o'clock at night, I would, you know, my heart would, you know, skip a beat a little bit before I read the text. But, you know, other than that, you know, the doctors and Chris and his staff deserve all the credit. You know, there, we didn't have the same sort of access to you, uh, 
or to anyone and and you didn't have the same sort of interaction with fans it was a very different level of of familiarity i think that that the media and fans had with the team last year than they normally had what are i don't know what were some of the challenges that maybe we weren't always privy to and and that created that that were different than than other years but also that you know we never even saw i mean we all saw the challenges with covid but what was it what were some of the challenges of last year that weren't maybe so obvious are you talking about why I was grumpy to the press midway through the year? Is that what you're trying to we, we can, me we, about? Some some guy some guy made you real <laughs> mad at the MLS's back tournament. I, I don't remember who that was, but that was not Jeremiah's fault. I was a little I was a little frosty because you know just I was you know I was worried about logistics and you know I'm, I'm a German guy and I like efficiency and the the players had to do these interviews and we had to wait until one group was done and we had to wipe the studios down we had to do it again and it was late and i wanted to get the team back on the bus back to the hotels and there was there was stuff jeremiah going on behind the scenes that logistically were challenging and that i just wanted to make sure that the team the players always got taken care of first you know adam owen who's come in and done a great job for us our our new you know director of sports science and you know he's got a phd i mean he had a strict schedule he wanted them to eat when he wanted them to eat they had to go in the pool after the games they had to do their regen started regen right after the games and you know all of those little pressures to get maximum or peak performance from the players those were kind of the stresses that you know stressed me out and i you know i took some out on grant clark too if the bus driver wasn't ready or you know something happened or who are we waiting for the media guys before the players have to go back to the hotel I mean look there were some moments that were challenging but you know I I, I think we overcame them I think I, I I hope I wasn't too grumpy but yeah I get it there were some moments hopefully you know as kind of things progress into this season uh you know, you're not going to Orlando again, at least not for a tournament like that. Maybe, maybe you end up playing in Orlando this year or whatnot, but anywho, uh, more about this year. Um, are you excited about this season? I, I know it's kind of still early in the off season, but, um, how, how excited are you about to, to maybe have a little bit more of a normal season this year? Oh well, yeah. We hope it. let's keep our fingers crossed. Let's hope that it gets more normal. That, that the whole country can return to some formal normalcy. Uh, you know, I'd love to have fans back in the building safely. Uh, uh, I think, I think Mark, your, 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 your question about, you know, our last game, I think that is one of the things that's driving it. I think we as coaches are creatures of habit. I mean, we like, we enjoy our jobs. I mean, our, we have, we have great jobs. I mean, we get a, we get to work with a bunch of talented young people. It keeps us young, you know, Gonzo and Jimmy are, you know, again, going through their coaching licenses. Uh, you know, Jimmy tweeted out something. He was back in Europe looking at different clubs and Gonzo's in the thick of his licensing. And we all enjoy coaching. You know, Preki wants to get back at it again. He's, he's always into his coaching, you know, his rapport, with with Nico and Raul and some of the senior players is really good keeps him young you know it keeps keeps us old guys young interacting with all these young people 
So we're 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 happy that the league finally announced the date. And you know, later today we have a another Zoom call with with Garth and Chris and Grant and everybody from the technical staff just to figure out how we're gonna move forward. What does preseason look like? What are we gonna do? What are the protocols we need to put in place? We're starting, we're starting now. You know, along those lines, do you do you allow uh, Jordan's absence for at least half the season change your expectations at all? No, I mean the expectations are always high. You know, the personal bar I set for myself uh, is a is a pretty high standard. I I, I think so. Uh, the personal standard that Preki has, that Gonzo has, that Tommy Dutra has. We haven't talked about Tommy his standard is really, really high. So I don't think there's any fear of, okay, Jordan's not here. So, you know, if we don't win some games, it's okay, blah, blah, blah. That's not, that's not within our DNA. I think all of us are very highly competitive people. I think what it does is it just drives us. And I know we touched on it a little bit yesterday in the bigger thing, but I don't know if I misspoke or not, but, you know, getting Will Bruin on the field doesn't mean 4-4-2, maybe it's 3-5-2. Maybe it's maybe it's something different. Maybe it's four four two diamond. Maybe there's still four two three one, and some of the young kids have to buck up and man up. And you know, I've said this before: next man up. I mean, there's lots of different ways that we can kind of make this happen, but our standard is still the same. We we want to win every game that we go into. We want to make sure that the young kids that do get a chance, that will get a chance that they are prepared for the expectations of the club. Who are some of the young kids that you're really excited about? I know Danny had a difficult season last year with injury. And then obviously, you know, COVID uh, took away, you know, maybe some of the opportunities he would have gotten. Yeah. I mean, look, the, the, the crop of guys that we've had have been Danny AOC, uh, you know, uh, Ethan, Josh, Tensio's done well, you know, the, the Shandons of the world and those guys, uh, you know, they're, they're all good players, good young players. One of them needs to break through. You know, I did mention, you know, Reed, I think he's got some potential, uh, you know, the club needs to figure out a way how to, you know, make sure that we do the right thing by getting them minutes and giving them opportunities, but we also have to do the right thing by, you know, making sure that the training environment is good for their maximum development. I mean, let's just use Reed for an example. I mean, even if he doesn't make it onto the first team, have we done enough as an organization? Are we doing enough as an organization to push that kid to his top level? And then if his top level is good enough, then it's a success story. But even if his top level isn't enough, maybe for our first team, maybe his top level is good enough for another team or something. And we've done our jobs to try and develop these young kids to their best potential. So, you know, you go into this year and you have this, this opportunity of, of potentially bringing in some of these young guys and you look around the organization and you have, you know, you have yourself, you have Adrian at the top. But then you also have guys like Ravi, who who came essentially to the Sounders from the Seattle community. You know, guys like Sean Henderson, uh, people from that have come into the organization that are real locals. Um, do, do you feel like a um, 
Is it important for the Sounders to maintain that, to maintain bringing up young local players with local roots, you know, people from outside, you know, from the uh, elsewhere in the organization to make sure it remains a Seattle kind of like Seattle is at its core? Yeah, but look, dynamics have changed a little bit, Jeremiah. I mean, look, back in the day, you know, I, I think I mentioned Mark Peterson, just off, Jack Durgan, myself, Chance, Billy Crook, Dick McCormick, Marcus Hanneman, you know, all of those guys that were local guys. Uh, I think that changed. I mean, Danny's from Vegas and, and you know, AOC is from California. I mean, the whole dynamics of youth development has changed. You're recruiting from different parts of the country. You know, RSL had that academy down in Arizona. You know, Barcelona took it over. There's, you know, there's academies everywhere. I think, I think that landscape has changed. What I would say, though, and this started way back when Darren Sawatsky was, you know, handling the academy duties, uh, getting young players, whether they're from Seattle or Tacoma or Eastern Washington or California or Vegas or anywhere else that they come from, they can still come to this club and be indoctrinated into what we feel is important, which is winning, which is working hard, which is working smart, which is understanding the history of this club. I mean, there's a lot of things that you can teach a 14, 15, 16 year old kid. They're not fully developed yet. Yeah, no, that's and that's I think that's probably uh, a good place to end this. Uh, Brian, you've been uh, great as always. Uh, congratulations again. It's it's good to know that, that you're going to be around that even uh, while we are losing while while we're sending Seattle kids into the world, whether it be to uh, Miami or Wales, uh, that that. Um, we still have a core here in Seattle that that feels uh, rooted in in someone like yourself, uh, and it's good to know that you're you're going to be around for a while. Yeah, well, it's the look. It's the world's game. I mean, Casey Keller played all over the world. He's made his home here in Seattle. I'm sure DeAndre is going to come back. I mean. <clears throat> might have missed a couple other guys. I mean, Marcus, we talked about him, but, you know, there are people from this country, people from this part of the country that go off into the world, have success. They always seem to come back a little bit to Seattle. Yeah. Well, uh, and it's good to have some of them here at the same time. For sure. Well, <laughs> yeah. Okay. You guys are trying to make me bite again on DeAndre. I know. I, know, I got you guys. <laughs> well, uh, Brian, thanks for doing this. Um, but yeah, we'll we'll let you go. You have you have plenty of other things to do. So uh, I'm hey Jeremiah. Guys. I'm Jeremiah Shan signing off for this, for Mark Kastner. Uh, this is the Center of Hurt podcast, and uh, we'll see you next time. All right, take care, guys. See you, Brian. See, see ya. ya.